10 to 30% of people continue to have symptoms long after being infected with SARS-CoV-2. This so-called long-haul COVID or long COVID may ultimately affect more than 15 million people in the United States. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Stephen Phillips, Vice President of Science and Strategy at the COVID Collaborative. Dr. Phillips has co-authored a perspective article about the complexities involved in addressing long COVID. Dr. Phillips, you write in your perspective article that there's currently no clear consensus definition of long COVID. So what do we know about the symptoms typically associated with the condition and what types of patients seem to be affected most often? The definition of long haul COVID is still very much in evolution and development. As we know, the virus first struck about 18 months ago and the first patients complaining of long-haul symptoms came along about March 2020, so about 15 months ago or so. And the frustrating thing about long COVID to clinicians throughout the world is to come up with a case definition, because these 15 million people that we allude to in our article are a very conservative estimation of the ultimate number of people that may be affected and right now, the symptomatology is complex and unclear. Up to 200 symptoms across all organ systems pretty much have been attributed to long COVID. And I have to emphasize here that the term is symptoms and not signs. So neurocognitive symptoms might be brain fog, difficulty concentrating, difficulty making complex decisions, these don't have any biological markers or objective definitions or signs. So what we're really talking about is a multitude of symptoms which are real. These really seriously afflict patients, but they don't have any firm diagnostic criteria, either separately as symptoms or together in multiple symptom complexes. So it's really kind of a frustrating condition for physicians to diagnose at this point. And to add to the frustration, I would think, the pathophysiology of long COVID is also unknown. Are there any plausible hypotheses about its underlying causes? Yes. As you mentioned, it's frustrating because there's a fair number of biologically plausible hypotheses, but at this point, none are proven. All are subjects of extensive research across the globe. Some relate to persistence of the live virus somewhere in the body. Others relate to autoimmune sequelae or possibly superinfections. There's plenty of hypotheses at this point, but no clear evidence and a lot of good research going on. And how has the healthcare system responded thus far to patients with lingering COVID-19 symptoms? Is there any agreement on what an appropriate treatment plan looks like or what kinds of support these patients might need? I think that's probably the main issue facing the American healthcare system. We are very fragmented and organ-specific by design, and that serves a lot of complex patients extremely well. These patients, just historically, based on other similar post-infection syndromes, will probably not fare very well in our very specialized and fragmented and very loosely coordinated healthcare system. So to pick up on your question, I see challenges in two broad areas for our healthcare system. One is on the diagnostic side, 
and the others on the treatment side. So on the diagnostic side, what will it take to make a diagnosis of long COVID where you also have to entertain other diseases besides long COVID as possibly being responsible for a patient's very protein presentation? So for example, some well-known diseases have very atypical presentations. Those have to be considered and ruled out. There are also rare diseases that many primary doctors won't really be able to diagnose that are going to be referred to tertiary care centers for diagnosis. And these need to be detected by very sharp clinicians and further testing. So on the diagnostic side, I see a healthcare system that's broadly not prepared to face the onslaught of these long-haul patients. And on the treatment side, that's another issue altogether, which is There's a bipolar distribution, if you will, of doctors that believe that this is primarily a psychogenic or mental health issue. And there are others that are convinced that if you track down the symptom pattern far enough and do appropriate enough medical diagnostics, you eventually will find something, either traditional diagnosis or perhaps something new. So this dichotomy, I think, also will tend to make patient care and long-term effective care rather challenging for these patients. So what's behind that? Why do you think the medical community has been hesitant to recognize long COVID as a legitimate disease or syndrome? Well, frankly, I wouldn't affix blame anywhere. I think we are a multi-specialty fragmented society in terms of how we look at patient care. Very few patients now have a primary care physician or ombudsman for complex diagnostic and treatment situations. So what we recommended in our article, and which I think many tertiary care centers are now looking to, is developing a comprehensive system, certainly on the diagnostic side, which is some gatekeeper triages, but maintains responsibility for the primary interface throughout a complex physical, mental, social, psychological, and occupational workup. When those strands are put together, then a diagnostic assessment and a treatment plan is developed. So that's, I think, the ideal standard of care. I think currently it's being assembled in maybe three or four dozen centers throughout the country who are expert in this kind of thing, and they recognize the need. On the treatment side, that's less clear because of this dichotomy. Patients who will not have a somatic problem, not have a physical diagnosis, will be triaged into the mental health system. And I'm not sure the mental health system is fully prepared at this point to manage these patients. You say in your article that given the extensive history of post-infection syndromes, the emergence of long COVID shouldn't be surprising. So what are some examples of similar post-infection syndromes and what can clinicians learn from our experience? I think it's really important to recognize that I think what we're seeing here is not new. And in my own belief, it was predictable and we should have, could have geared up better, but it's not too late to do so now. So uh, syndromes such as myalgic encephalomyelitis and CFS, which is abbreviated MECFS, fibromyalgia, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, chronic Epstein-Barr EB virus, and even the 19th century diagnosis of neurasthenia, I think offer major clues as to what's going on here. They had similar vague and migratory symptomatology. They were similarly debilitating. 
they had similar hypotheses in terms of either the organicity of the disease or the somatic underlying nature of the disease. And organizations, for example, such as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have worked out clinical diagnostic and treatment guidelines for ME-CFS. So there's been a great deal of work on similar conditions. And the question is, to what degree will the healthcare system, especially medical specialists and the patients themselves, will they accept this conceptual framework and apply it to what seems like a new condition, but probably has antecedents that are going to be very well worth exploring for short-circuiting some of the approaches that we're taking now. So finally, looking at all of that, what can individual clinicians do today to address long-term COVID symptoms in their patients? How should they approach caring for people with long COVID? Well, I think first and foremost, to offer empathy, credibility, and clinical rigor, much like they would with any other patient. Believe your patient, treat them with respect, don't make presuppositions, deploy your tools and your expertise and your judgment in the best way you see fit, like you would with any other patient. Second of all, if you recognize that you may be dealing with long COVID, I would think about triaging the patient to one of these nearby centers. And I think there will be more and more, given the patient load that you asked about, 15 million plus. I think there will be a lot of healthcare systems that are going to invest in a significant, coordinated, comprehensive approach. So I would say respect, judgment, rigorous workup, and referral to a proper treatment center would be a reasonable way to go for most clinicians. Thank you, Dr. Phillips.